Barbosa. Uh, no. More about gel coat. When the force. Don't you call in the. More importantly. Well, Merry Christmas, Tutti Fruities, and uh, anyone else who might be listening. TV Talkaholics Christmas 2020 edition. Woohoo! Mm, I came upon a midnight clear and a New Year's Eve clear and the day after clear. I, <laughs> it's, it's pretty much an. Oh, you're recording. I'm sorry. Yes, that was, I'm sorry. Yeah, we were starting. I'm sorry. Um, yeah. I'm David Almeida. Hi, David. I'm a talkaholic. Oh, that is unfortunate. You should seek help for that. You no, that's that's the brand oh, of the show, and then you. Oh shit! Okay, I'm I'm Matthew. Hi, and... Matthew. Oh god. Hi, Matthew. Aren't you supposed to say like you're special or something, or is that a different meeting? What I don't know. Um, I think that was when you were in grade school, and they told you you were special and sent you to speech therapy. Was it or? I'm from before that generation when nobody was special. <laughs> you and me both. I, well, I'm older than you, of course. We were, each generation behind us <laughs> was labeled as less special. <laughs> yeah. I got no yep. participation trophies, not one. Mm -hmm. yeah. And that would have been all that was on my wall for sports stuff. <laughs> oh, oh god yeah i didn't do any of that so are you kidding me that's why we can talk about tv and the facts of life and all this stuff uh because because we were given the gift of lack of physical ability and sportsmanship but now we're going to move on to happier things the year 2020 okay nope no no mm. Um, the, the, the holidays, the holiday season. Uh, David, do you remember as a child, did you have the same experience I did? So excited waiting for Santa to come and then the awkward silence when he got dressed. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I... Oh. <laughs> that okay. that this is uncomfortable normally it's just like laughter laughter this is uncomfortable laughter because i am one of the one thing you know for how inappropriate my sense of humor can be i do not like combining christmas and sexy i think there is nothing less se when you see like you know the hot dude in the santa hat with the the candy cane and oh yeah that's gross you know, Santa baby, hurry down my chimney to no, 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 no it's a kid's holiday. There's nothing sexy about it for me anyway. I, I totally agree with Santa and sexy. That is not, it's not, that is not okay. Which is why I can't watch that um, Kirk Douglas and Goldie Hawn Christmas special that's on Netflix. Kirk Where Douglas he, and Goldie Hawn? Yes, and Goldie Hawn. I've said it before. I will say it again. She plays Mrs. Claus, and I want to know what elf is in charge of plastic surgery because <laughs> I have never seen a more plastic Mrs. Claus since Shirley Booth played her in the Rankin and Bass Claymation special. <laughs> Do you mean Kurt Russell and not Kirk Douglas? I think there's a couple of uh, what centuries. What did I say? What did I say? You said Kirk Douglas. Oh, Jesus. No, not that freak. No. Is he <laughs> dead? He is. He's dead, yes. 
So in the spirit of Christmas, Matthew and I watched It Happened One Christmas. Mm. The wonderful 1977 TV movie remake of It's a Wonderful Life. Hopefully you may have watched it already on Amazon Prime Video. That is where we watched it. And uh, it was it was certainly a movie, wasn't it? Um, I wasn't mad at this. Uh, no. I mean, it wasn't terrible. I mean, we don't have a whole lot to make fun of. I didn't take notes for some reason. I just, I couldn't take my eyes off of it. No, so it's good. Hopefully and- I will say this before I say anything else. I will not have a bad word said about Marlo Thomas. I will not have one bad word said. (laughs) She is a goddess and everything she does is correct. She is the original woke woman and I am here for her. Uh, You know what? I will not disagree with you one bit. No, Marlo is, she really is the shit and that girl, people call it a landmark TV show because it was about a single girl. She had a fucking boyfriend the entire damn show. It was her fiance. They were they were engaged, yeah. weren't they? And her dad completely ran her life. So. Yeah, it was. Yeah, no, no, it was not that. It was no Mary Tyler Moore show. Very different. But um, I will say she is. Uh, yeah, she is a, an activist and she is still working, going at it to this day. And we still see her. She still appears on your back when we could go to the movies and the before times, she would be up there. What was the what was the charity? St. Jude. Her oh, St. Jude's, created. of course, because Danny yeah. Thomas, her dad. Yeah. So, yeah, she'd appear on the screen and be like, hi, I'm Marlo Thomas. And <laughs> She's 83. <laughs> she she does have Lucille Ball voice. Um, she smoked pot her entire life. She, yeah. You already hear it starting in this, in the 70s. But and, free uh, to be you and me. Free to be. Oh, God. Did you have that album, David? Free to be you and me. I did not. And uh, I did watch the special, and I don't remember any of it. I need to revisit it because I remember loving it and I know it's beloved. And what is it? Is it kind of like a diversity, love yourself? Yes. Kind of a you are special. There's a song called It's Okay to Cry. Oh. I mean, it wasn't when we were kids, but that's nice that someone wrote that song. And if you did cry, you'd you'd get something to cry about. Bless. But this is a uh, 1977 remake. We chose it because of the holiday season and in the facts of life adjacent realm, this stars our beloved Cloris Leachman. And two other facts of life crossovers. Don't know if you knew that. I want to go through a lot of the supporting cast because they are all uh, familiar faces. I Every yeah. time I turned around, I was like, oh my God, and oh my God. Yeah. But uh, what we've got here is, this is a remake of the Frank Capra 1946 classic, It's a Wonderful Life. And I'm going to operate under the assumption that most everybody listening to this is somewhat familiar with It's a Wonderful Life. And uh, I really personally was not. That's not a movie I watched a lot of growing up. And I did rewatch it before this to reacquaint myself just to be sure. And I'm glad I did. Uh, So the title 
comes from another Frank Capra movie called It Happened One Night, which is one of his comedies. Mm. And uh, so they combined it. It Happened One Christmas, combine them together. Salute to Mr. Capra. Uh, I, I approve. Absolutely. It originally broadcast on Sunday, December 11th of 1977. Normally, uh, The Six Million Dollar Man would have been on ABC. I'm not sure if this preempted it or if there was another Christmas special. Now, on the uh, TVTango.com, which is where I go to look and see what else was playing that same night when this premiered, uh, all it shows is C uh, CBS, where we've got your 60 Minutes at 7 p.m., and then Rhoda on our own. Do you remember On Our Own? Mm -hmm. On Our Own was oh. a short-lived uh, buddy show, two gals who lived together and worked together, kind of like a Laverne and Shirley thing. What On Our Own is notable for is one of the stars of it was the actress who played young Dorothy's Bornack whenever oh. they would do the flashbacks on Golden Girls. Oh. She was one of the stars. And, and that actress's name is, I just looked it up, Linny Green. And uh, the other star of that show was Bess Armstrong. Bess Armstrong would go on to do uh, a few other TV shows and some movies, right? Wasn't she in like a... Uh, uh, if you see Bess Armstrong, you recognize her. She's she's done stuff. She went on to do stuff too. So, But, um, but she's not in It Happened One Christmas. No, she was on the other <laughs> network running simultaneously, as was All in the Family, Alice, and The Carol Burnett Show, which I was like, Carol Burnett on Sunday night? But this is the final season of The Carol Burnett Show. And then on NBC we would have had probably The Wonderful World of Disney and probably some type of a movie known as The Big Event was what they called their Sunday night at the movies, thing like that. So, um, yeah. Do you want to go over who wrote and directed it briefly? Making oh, air quotes sure. with briefly. Um, now, it was directed by Donald Rye. That is W-R-Y-E. And uh, after this, he directed the movie Ice Castles. Remember Ice Castles? Please don't let this feeling end. <laughs> we forgot about the flowers. But then after that, it looks like he kind of went back to doing mostly TV movies. And he has a lot of TV movies to his credit. Look him up on IMDb. What, do I have to do everything? I'm not your fucking mother. Come on. And then- uh, They are paying for this. I mean- And like, uh... yeah, well, they're paying for, <laughs> they're not paying for me to be their research analyst. They're paying for you and me to make pithy comments about this. And speaking of pithy comments, the writer- now there's there's some air quotes that need to happen. The writer of this movie, Why? Lionel Chetwind, C H E T W Y N D. I'd like to buy a vowel, please. Um, the adaptation. This film. Do do you have a lot of recollection of the original? Uh, it's a Wonderful Life. It wasn't. It wasn't in heavy play when I was growing up because Jamie Stewart was what my mother and grandmother referred to. And I believe I've mentioned this before on this show or others. Um, Jimmy Stewart was what my grandmother and mother called a puke. Oh, that's what you've, you've referred to other people as a puke. I didn't know that was yeah. something you inherited. Yeah. They yeah. didn't like, God, I thought every woman over the age of 50 in the 70s was yeah. like damp in the drawers for him. Yeah. Really? I, I, 
Yeah, I know the cheese stands alone, I guess. But yeah. Wow. So we know. And also, honestly, growing up, I never, Donna Reed, I don't get it. I never understood her appeal. I tried watching her TV show that was on for apparently 15 years or something. <laughs> yeah, crazy. Yeah. <laughs> But. I never watched it, never did. Somebody, it might have been Ken Reed on his show, where basically he says, it's a good show. It's kind of your typical 50s sitcom family thing. But a lot of what drives it is her being really neurotic, like her overreacting to things and making a big deal and mountains out of molehills. I don't know. Tutti mm. Fruities, did you watch the Donna Reed show? Tell us about it. What did you think of it? Would be or interested to hear. Did you watch It's a Wonderful Life? <laughs> yeah. Well, I think I think I'm in the minority that I am not as familiar with it. I think most people did watch it. But this is a this is a good uh, moment to bring in the fact that It's a Wonderful Life was not considered a classic until after this. Part of why they made this cuz you'd think to yourself who would make a remake of It's a What? Why? Why bother to do this? But the fact is they were looking to update it because the movie wasn't in heavy rotation and it really hadn't tipped over into being a classic because it hadn't fallen into the public domain yet, at which time every TV station started running it around the holidays 24 hours a day. And that's when, uh, just due to over being overfed the movie kind of like christmas story where everybody suddenly knew the movie and it became a classic that we were not there yet so doing this was kind of an attempt to oh let's let's revive the story and see if we can update it and uh, uh let people experience it a little differently mm. yeah but uh but but back to that with with that in mind that's why there is surprisingly little adaptation here the story tracks uh, almost scene by scene yeah with the jimmy stewart original and that was surprising to me i thought there was going to be a little bit more going on uh with that particularly with the gender swap particularly with marlo thomas being such a feminist that i thought it would be able to touch upon some more women's issues and it uh unfortunately doesn't really do that i mean there are things that happened to her that imply what a strong woman she was you know mm -hmm. so i don't know i think it's her it's her what do you call it um her underplaying it um yeah but i mean in the writing and the plot oh, yeah. you would have thought there would have been something more about uh you would have thought there'd be something more about her being a woman who owns a business like she's the the head of the board and the board won't continue with the business unless it is her because of her idealism and her mindset it's it's kind of interesting where on one hand you wish they had made a bigger deal out of she's a woman who runs a business that's not done uh, and on the flip side I think that almost weakens the movie a little bit because for how compassionate and how empathetic this character is, the, the George Bailey character, the Jimmy Stewart equivalent, in female form, there is kind of a sense of, well, yeah, I, I would hope she would be this way. It's, it's men who are the fucking assholes out there who don't give a shit about people and only care about money. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, yeah, oh, oh, before I go on, Lionel Chetwind, who did the adaptation, he did do a lot of writing uh, 
after this. Nothing particularly high profile, but there's a lot of political and or historical movies and series. So this seems to be a little bit off brand for him because everything else seems to have governmental uh, historical things happening with it. And the music was written by the wonderful Under Steve Lawrence, not Steve Lawrence of Stephen E.D. Gourmet. Damn no, no. it. <laughs> this is Stephen J. Lawrence. And guess what other music he wrote, Matthew? What other music did he write, David? Free to be you and me. Oh, so Marla was comfortable with him. Mm-hmm. Oh, good for her. And Free to Be You and Me was 1972, so it does predate this. And uh, and I like the music, other than it is a little 70s TV movie, a lot of, lot of clarinet going on there. A lot of clarinet. It didn't stand out to me. Like, mm -hmm. I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't, it's not like listening to Star Wars where you're like, oh, well, that's a, that's a, good song right there yeah <laughs> um for those who don't know the general plot of it's a wonderful life you always hear it is about every time a, a bell rings an angel gets its wings well this is the movie about an angel who is sent down to earth to help one george bailey in the original it becomes mary bailey in this one uh and the angel finds George in deep, deep distress on Christmas Eve. And so when George wishes that he had never been born, the angel grants his wish and he gets to move about through his hometown as though he had never been born, did not exist. Nobody knows him. And he sees how different and changed the town is and how much worse off it and everybody he knows is because they never crossed paths with him. So he stops wishing that the angel uh, lets him be alive again. And because George's mind has changed and everything turns out good, uh, the angel gets his wings. Ta-da. What I was not prepared for, Matthew, yeah. was that the, uh, the original movie is two hours and 11 minutes long. Yeah. It's Holy fuckballs. Well, this one was two hours, wasn't it? This was, this was an hour 50. Yeah, for a, for a TV movie, it must have run two and a half hours, I guess. Or, I mean, that's Ooh. that's long. Typically, you know, you'd have a ninety-minute movie would be two hours with commercials. So, um, yeah. But the thing that's interesting that I had forgotten is that the whole concept of wishing you hadn't been born and then experiencing what would life have been if you hadn't been born—that's the last twenty minutes. Yeah, and it's only Christmas on the last 20 minutes. And yeah, everything else of that is just this lovely romantic comedy of watching the ascent of Jimmy Stewart's character, him sort of collecting his ideals and his idealism and uh, wishing to get out of his small town, Bedford Falls. That's, you know, everyone knows Bedford Falls. It's a wonderful life. And even though a series of life events prevent him from ever getting out and experiencing the world and moving on to bigger and better things. The idea of the movie is that his life wasn't a waste and he created so much good on a small scale in his community. Um, but but the, the bulk of the movie is the, the build up to that and the, you know, courtship of him and his 
uh, girlfriend, future wife, and then the birth of his children, and uh, and then meeting the bad guy, the bad guy who wants to take over the town and close down his lending business because money, money, ah. And for some reason, every horrible thing that happens to her happens on the same day. Like, it's always like, oh, this is the day I'm leaving for Paris. Wait, what? You're you're going to war? Yeah. You find that all out in an hour? Like, yeah. it's just, that's a lot. Yeah, off we with. go on our honeymoon. What? There's a run on the bank? I have to yeah. run back to work. On my wedding day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but that, but the, the the original does that too. This is uh, yeah, I get it. It's just, yeah. it's like it's like Jesus, batter in this home, aren't we? Yeah, like we're we're beating this dead horse. But it kind <laughs> of it does make you kind of put this in the category with Die Hard. Is it a Christmas movie? Oh, I think it is. Just because it, the last twenty minutes it ends on Christmas. That yeah, makes it a Christmas movie. Yeah, I think. <laughs> I think if anything, you could say it's a flawed Christmas movie because it's, uh, you know, an hour and 50 minutes of exposition leading up to the story that is the Christmas, which is the last 20. Uh, but you find I, yourself almost saying, Jesus, when is she going to try to kill herself? <laughs> Come on. Oh, uh, yes. Um so but let's let's kind of fixate uh, again a little more on this writing and the adaptation. Um, they didn't even change the time period. I thought for sure if it was done in 1977, maybe they could have transposed the time period so that it could coincide more with the feminist movement in a time when she would have had a lot more opportunities at her disposal. I mean, the idea is that she's just supposed to go off to Paris and be a writer, I think, is the, the first dream that's dashed by the death of her father. In the original, Jimmy Stewart wants to go off and travel with the intent that he was going to find a school and study, I think. So it, it was just interesting that I, I don't have it completely mapped out in my head how they would have done that. But it just seems to me that if you're going to gender swap it, therefore, there's got to be a more feminist bent to it. I, I'm surprised they didn't try to just modernize the story. If it, it took mm. if if it took place in 1977, because it takes place over about 30 years. <laughs> and Marlowe pl plays um, all 30 of them. <laughs> yes. Am I right? It's. It's 19, the beginning is, I'm sorry, the beginning is like 1916, and that's when she's a kid. When 40 years. It's 40 years, because like when she's born, I mean, she's like five or whatever in the first scene, yeah. or five or six. But then at the end, um, class of the, 20. Angel, the angel says, um, she's not old, but she's not young, because they yeah. say she's 40. Yeah. I think that's yeah that makes sense because it was welcome class of 28 it was the 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 um graduation party thing took place in 1928 and it ends in 1946 which is the year of the original film it brings it up to modern day so it is actually marlo thomas is actually playing less than a 20 year span and uh and she's she 16 is... in one scene she's 16. <laughs> in real life she is 40. Absolutely. And it, and it is um, actually she turned 40 like the week that this was released. Oh. Um, so she was 39 while they were filming it. But it just it reminded me of Judy Garland's um, 
Me and My Shadows when Judy Davis took over for <laughs> Judy Garland. A one scene too early. Just yeah. one scene too early. Yeah, we have Tammy Blanchard playing childhood Judy Garland up to teenager and Wizard of Oz. And then Meet Me in St. Louis. <laughs> Suddenly 60-year-old Judy Davis <laughs> riding a trolley. <laughs> clang, oh. clang, clang. But um, yeah, so it surprised me that the time period was the same. And we always have curious things in the 70s when they do a period piece. They do get some of the costumes uh, right. Some of the costuming is actually, um, I was very impressed and I liked it, but damn, it's like hair and makeup people had no earthly idea how to style hair that wasn't contemporary. My God, it is one of those things that I just can't handle. Mm -hmm. And it's like the, one of the reasons that I can't watch like movies like funny girl, because Every woman in that movie has a beehive haircut. Yeah. And yes. has cat eye, eye eyeliner on. Yeah. And I will say it is the only flaw other than Patrick Swayze with Dirty Dancing. The fact that it's supposed to be 1962 and Jennifer Grey has a Barbra Streisand star is born perm. <laughs> a blunt cut perm like you would have in 1988 or whenever Dirty exactly. Dancing was out. Yes. Seven. Yeah. Uh, my other thought is Hush Hush Sweet Charlotte, which takes place in the 60s, but we flash back to yeah. the night of the cotillion. And there's all, you know, at this point, Charlotte is supposed to be young and only, you know, uh, uh, late teens. And the other girls have bouffant, teased up crowns, yeah. hairdos. They look like the, the Shangri-Las and the Chenilles. And you're like, like, this is, wait a minute, this is supposed to be taking place in the yeah. 30s? Uh, bunch of hair hoppers is what they are <laughs> i believe it is naturally stiff <laughs> tracy turnblad how am i supposed to negotiate pleats i left my iron on i'm, I'm trying to iron in here yeah when you're the only one doing a baltimore accent it only makes it sound wrong yeah yeah turn that racket down bless his heart actually trying to act Tracy Turnblad, my dot pills weren't off. Oh, Wilbur, all of you. Fads keep fading, Castro's <laughs> invading, and where did my dialect go? Okay, airspray, that's a whole other kettle of whatevers. Um, so, yeah, the hair is, um, at, at least at the very least, when she's playing 16-year-old in the 19, late 1920s, Marlo does have a hairdo that is above her shoulders, and I love it. It looked great. Mm -hmm. A little too mm -hmm. big, but at least it was something short and not 1970s only. It, could, it kind yeah. of could walk that line. But by the time we move into the 30s and 40s, her hair gets longer. It ends in the 40s. And you do see women with the barrel curls, with the snoods, and Marlo has her hair in a bun, a yeah. Mrs. Garrett balloon knot. <laughs> and Her balloon knot is much larger than Mrs. Yeah. Garrett's, though. Yeah. Marlo Thomas has a bigger balloon knot than Charlotte Ray, that's for sure. <laughs> but even when she's running around and it's just that long, flowing wig, um, I think it's probably a fall because it's, it's some of her hair, I think. But yeah. It just, it's like, 
it's just like that 70s Gloria Swanson loose long hair that is just yeah Gloria Swanson not Gloria Swanson um Gloria, Gloria Steinem Gloria Steinem that, yeah that long straight hair that was just awful yeah well because what happens is the bun comes out as as the day goes on of course order gives way to chaos and what better way to express that than with hair so yeah as her hair f- comes out and she's you know running around and suicidal and meeting her guardian angel at this point her hair is just it's just long it's it's fucking Marlo Thomas 1977 hair it's nothing period about it you're like no Ugh. um we really don't need to discuss Wayne Rogers in the role of the mm. husband in the Donna Reed role because he is uh, the best word I can come up with is he's fine. Uh, the best word I can come up with him is he is handsome. Okay, nineteen seventy-seven, handsome. When he's near, yeah, I don't know. I thought he was handsome today, but I mean, when he smiles at her at the beginning of that movie, I was like, oh, oh I wouldn't go to college either. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, if a man that looked like that smiled at me, I'd be like, take me here, take me now, don't do me this away. Oh. Okay. I mean, for 1977, I don't think he was as attractive as, you know, say a, a John Ritter or an Adrian <laughs> Zamed. <laughs> Oh, come on. Take that back right now. You take that back. What? Uh, you don't think John Ritter, we've had this conversation before. You think puke. John Ritter's a puke. Puke. I'm such a puke. Ugh. Wayne Rogers is no John Schneider on the Dukes of Hazard. Come on. Well, I'll give you that. Okay, you win. All right, that, I'm, I'll give you that. I'm just saying, he is He is handsome. He is fine. He but is you're not... making him out like he's a boss hog, almost. No, but he ain't no Lyle Wagoner. Now, if that had been Lyle Wagoner, I'd have fucking, the movie would have been over in 10 minutes. It would have been like, I'm going to hit this till I break it, bitch. I wonder why Damn. it wasn't in 1977. <laughs> I wonder why they didn't. He, he was, well, he was just starting Wonder Woman. He was Wonder Woman was 76 to 79. Um, but anyhow, Wayne Rogers had been on MASH, by the way, but we need not discuss him. Uh, casting, continuing with the casting, Orson mm. Welles as the bad guy. Yeah. Well, bravo. Uh, he is, it doesn't require much of him. <laughs> oh, he's, he's not acting. He's <laughs> just. <laughs> Sitting in a wheelchair saying his lines, happy as a pig in a blanket. I yeah. mean, because he can, like, because he doesn't have to walk and because he's smoking a cigar uh, constantly, incessantly, <laughs> constantly. Uh, well, there's that. But then uh, at the beginning of the movie, we do hear the voices of the angels as they did in the original, where it's like, oh, Mary Bailey is in crisis this Christmas Eve. We need to send a. Guardian Angel. Well, who do we have? Well, all we have is Clara. Clara. Oh, fuck shit. I thought it was kind of dryly funny because the the way he timed it, he goes, who do we have? We have Clara. Who else? Yeah. (laughs) I I, I don't know. I kind of went. No, no, no. I don't don't disagree with you on that at all. But then when they do call for Clara and the idea is the whole movie is flashback. It's the I guess it's God bringing Clara up to speed to understand what Marlo Thomas has been through that leads her to this suicidal Christmas Eve. Uh, but the <laughs> when we hear finally hear Clara, 
we hear this little voice and it's talking in an English accent in this sort of little Cupid doll accent. And it took me a while before I realized, oh, wait, oh, that's Cloris Leachman. And that's when you enter the 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 applause that Jan Brady would have gotten. Um, yeah. <laughs> just when you mention her name. It was yes. Cloris Leachman. Yes. Bravissima. Because <laughs> honestly, she can do no wrong. She, I think, is... except with the choice of this. What what was that choice of the, the dialect? British? Yeah. Yeah. She could have been so much funnier. And they really did miss a lot of opportunities for comedy with her. Because she's so funny. Well, and I will know. take it to you. No, no, I, I don't disagree with you. I This brings up an interesting point, because when you look up It Happened One Christmas on Wikipedia, it says it is a 1977 American made-for-television Christmas fantasy comedy film. Mm-hmm. And I thought, fantasy comedy? Uh, I, I'm going to say it. I think that there was more of a strain of lightness and comedy in Frank Capra's original because of all the characters in the street, because of Jimmy Stewart. This this film did have kind of a an intensity in its commitment, and it's not until Cloris Leachman appears is there any sense of whimsy going on. Yeah, it th this one did take itself very seriously. Yeah. And I mean, part of it is Capra. Capra never saw a crowd he didn't love. Holy fuck balls. Does he love his crowd scenes? Yeah. This doesn't start spending the money on that until the end. Smart, very smart choice. But the 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 population of the town, the the busyness of the scenes and people walking up and pat each other on the back and hey, just eat a paper today and I gotta make a delivery. Oh my god, look at the shoe shine boy. You know, that's not there. But the yeah, there's the the oh 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 the character of the uncle of Uncle Bill slash Uncle Willie, mm -hmm. that's a comedic actor giving a comedic performance about someone literally with early Alzheimer's. Yeah, and and but and that, and here's the thing: is that are they being more woke by not making that a funny thing? But I don't yeah. think they touched on it enough that there was an illness there. He just seemed like a sad old man to me that was always like, like that, the, like you said, they make him like he's a wacky old guy and oh, he's forgetful. Yeah. 40s one. But in this one, he's just a guy who's just a, the loser brother that knows he's the loser and hates his life. Yeah. Yeah. It's very, it's a much more tragic, yeah. <laughs> tragic comic character. And, and again, there's no comic there. It's really kind of tragic. They could have written him some funnier dialogue or made him dottier because there was nothing there for, it's not like he had dialogue that he was playing wrong. He's just, it right. just wasn't, it, it was, was not well, there. Same with Cloris Leachman. She just wasn't given the comedy to do. It mm -hmm. just like, that's a pretty funny part. Cause he is, I mean, anyway, the, the yeah. character of the angel has such an interesting angle on the play or on the, on the show because of <laughs> how he's seeing it and mm -hmm. what's in it for him. But at the same time, he, anyway, I'm, I can't explain what I'm trying to say, but there was no, room I hear for you. comedy. There was room for comedy that they didn't use with Cloris Leachman, and I wish they would have.
Yes. It's the fact that the angel is not of this world. The angel could show up and almost be saying to, to, to Marlo Thomas, lighten the fuck up, girl. Well, and I was just thinking like stupid things. Like there's a scene where she goes, where's my car? She's from like a Dickensian era. Mm-hmm. Like how funny would it have been to be have Clarence Leachman be like, what's a car? Yeah. <laughs> oh no. Do you think your horses are all right? <laughs> like like yeah. the car like, what the hell is this machine? Oh. <laughs> that would be funny to have her experiencing the world in the bar and the the yeah, you're right. But I mean, I guess she's an angel, so she's seen it and like she know I guess I don't know. But there was just yeah. I so many places I thought, oh, that would have been funny. Yeah, but, she supposedly watched the movie with us as as a yeah. viewer. And uh, but she does this is not to say that she doesn't find some quirkiness and some things in there. Cloris Leachman is the master at doing that. Yeah. If you're not sure, watch the pilot episode of Wonder Woman where she plays Wonder Woman's mom and it becomes a different TV show in her scenes because of because it's Cloris. She is so uh, influential in her presence that it just makes it a little bit wackier. She's the only, well, her and Martha Plimpton together on Raising Hope is some of the best, best television that has ever been filmed. <laughs> I, I uh, never watched that show and I heard such good things about it. It's, yeah. It's, it's great. It's yeah. Great. And I love Martha Plimpton. Absolutely. Thumbs up. She's right goddamn, there. goddamn brilliant. Mm-hmm. You should mention that Uncle Willie, the sad sack, is played by um, Barney Martin. <laughs> what a great name. The wonderful. He looks like a Barney Martin. He does. And, um, most people will remember him who are listening to this as the cheese man from the Golden Girls episode in season seven when Betty White goes out on a date and um, with the cheese man who's been on the lookout for Miles. And that's the reason Miles is in the um, witness protection program. Really, oh. David, you're looking at me like I'm talking no. out my butthole. No, no, I remember that. I just, I, I'm not as, I don't have an encyclopedic knowledge of Golden Girls. When you say that, I remember it's, but it's not, I don't remember that it was him. You see, I would say Barney Martin, or as, as my family would have said it growing up, Barney Martin, uh, the year before this, he was in the original Broadway cast of the musical Chicago in the role of Amos. And so the first recording of cellophane, Mr. Cellophane, should have been my name, Mr. Cellophane. That was Barney Martin, ladies and gentlemen. And I think an even higher profile role that he has uh, under his belt in the uh, grand scheme of television, he played Seinfeld's dad on Seinfeld. Yeah. And That's uh, straight people would recognize him. From. <laughs> yeah. What is his thing? I what? I sold raincoats for 40 years. Is that, isn't that his thing? He was a raincoat salesman. I've never seen an episode of Seinfeld. So. Wow. I'm a homosexual, David. Yeah. Oh, come on. Really? No, no it's wow. true. It's true. Yep. Um, maybe, so, you re- maybe you remember him from his um, star turn in Arthur two on the rocks. <laughs> <laughs> Where he worked with La. Oh, anyway, go ahead. But you started a a lovely string here that I did want to cover, talking about how many familiar character actors 
pop up in this. We have the owner of the drugstore. Remember at the beginning of the movie, there's a drugstore owner who is distraught after a family tragedy. And you know how drugstores have medicine and poison on the same shelf next to each other? And in a bottle labeled poison. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Well, he almost accidentally prescribes poison to a kid and uh, it is in the original, it's Jimmy Stewart in this because a girl wouldn't work at a drugstore. You see, this is it. You gender swap it and then you're taking away her power because she doesn't work at the drugstore. She's the girl hanging out at the counter. Um, So was she part of like alerting him? Yeah, she says, sir, and he, because he's all upset because his son died the day before. Yeah. They have to bring that up for some weird reason. Like he couldn't just be flustered. Like they had to be like, he's upset because his son died. Whoa, that is dark. That's, yeah. At the beginning of the movie, she's in crackers. That's, this has gotten dark real quick. But yeah, she points out that he poured the poison into the prescription. So, so yes. then later, the if she hadn't been born, he would have poisoned a child and he uh, gone basically to gone to prison and comes back a drunk, homeless person. But it is played by the wonderful Dick O'Neill. And mm-hmm. from where do we know Dick O'Neill, Matthew? Oh, my God. So many things. But mainly from two episodes of The Facts of Life, David. Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> Uh, He's in the shoplifting episode. He plays the store security manager that uh, Mrs. Garrett flirts with. And at the end of the episode says that she got his phone number. So she alluded to the fact that they were going to maybe go out on a date, but we never heard anything about it. And then is it uh, we're at the moment of at the time of this recording, we've just started season six on Let's Face the Facts. Is it this season where he comes back as a love interest for Charlotte Ray, but not in the same character as the security guard? He is um, Ryan Cassidy, who is living at that point living oh. in the attic. He is his father. Oh. I can see where you might have made that leap because it is the episode, Two Guys from Appleton, where the two guys from Mrs. Garrett's past come back into her life. But it's not a romantic person from her past? Um, I, I don't remember. That's in season six, David. So God it's, knows who you're going to have for that episode. It's coming hopefully, up. It might be you. Somebody, hopefully somebody that you can explain the whole show to. Um, <laughs> but he was also in an episode of your favorite show, Partners in Crime, starring Linda Carter and the oh. wonderful... <laughs> Lonnie Lonnie Anderson. Anderson. We got to find those, man. I would love to watch some of those (laughs) together. That would be great. Uh, Moving on. The mother, George Bailey's mother, is a fairly uh, prominent character in the original. Well, in this, she's a little less uh, of a a presence in the film, but it's played by Doris Roberts, the wonderful Emmy Award winner from best known as the mom in Everybody Loves Raymond. She's basically the mom in everything, for God's sake. She was the mom on Angie, the wonderful uh, Donna Pescoe sitcom. Since 1977, she's been playing a mom. (laughs) It's true. She's one of those where when she was when she was 30, she looked like she was 45, just always as the mom. She Um, was 10 years older than Marla Thomas. Was she? Wow. Um, Littler people. 
in the, in the show. There are two friends of the married couple of Marlo Thomas and Wayne Rogers. Uh, their names are Ernie and Bert. <laughs> I wink, shit you wink. not. I shit you not. Ernie is played by uh, Archie Hahn. Archie Hahn is a big character actor. He's been around in a bunch of things. And he was also on Whose Line Is It Anyway? The English version in the early 90s. I first saw him on that. So I'm like, oh, that's that improv guy. Uh, and then this other big character actor named Morgan Upton plays Bert. There is a weird scene where uh, after the big run on the bank, at which point Marlo Thomas has abandoned her honeymoon plans, uh, these two friends show up with a limousine and they're kind of playing out the madame your presence is requested blah 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 and the whole lead up is to bring her to the dilapidated rundown house that the husband always dreamed of buying and fixing up someday in the original was the wife this one it's the husband but afterwards uh the two of them are sitting out on the front stoop giving them their privacy but they're out there singing a love song to kind of add some mood they're sitting they're getting a little cuddly and close there bert and ernie singing a love song in harmony perfect pitch just saying may have had some early homosexuals here I wouldn't put it past marlo thomas to put a gay couple into her 1977 television movie because she is woke. Amazing. She's yeah. woke no, and amazing. We do love her. And uh, by the way, if there are any young, young people, and by young, young people, I mean, you know, under 40, uh, Marlo Thomas was Rachel's mom on Friends, Jennifer Aniston's mom on Friends. If you don't know where she ended up after this, uh, that was her probably, the, that was her highest, most visible role after that girl in the 60s. And you can YouTube the episode of the Donahue show that she was the guest star on and watch them fall in love in, oh. in one hour. It is the sweetest. It is amazing to watch. Oh, mm. I need to watch that. That was, of course, 1980 when she married Phil Donahue, to whom she is still married to this mm -hmm. day. Also very woke. Oh, God, yes. Jesus. Um, we have Gino Conforti is the actor who plays Orson Welles' sidekick. He was the barber in Man of La Mancha. He played a cardinal in Angels and Demons in 2009. That was of the um, of the Da Vinci Code movies. Mm. There were three of them. Only the middle one was good. First one and the last one were awful. The oh. middle one, this is the good one. Oh. And he was in six episodes of Three's Company as Felipe, the Latino uh, short order cook, food prep cook at the Angelino's restaurant where Jack worked and he was always bitter because he thought he should have been promoted to chef when Jack was hired. So he was kind of this fun little antagonist. And of course, Jack would go on to purchase Angelino's restaurant and that's the uh, future Jack's Bistro in the awful spin-off sitcom post Three's Company called Three's a Crowd. Oof. But Matthew. Yeah. Who is the most surprising supporting player in all of this? Cliff Norton. Cliff Norton? He plays Martini, the bar owner. Did you recognize he in something? I don't know. He was that. also on an episode of Facts of Life. Shut up! <laughs> Cliff Norton, what did he play? 
season five in the episode next door. Well, if you remember correctly, Jean Smart is the working mother who tells the boy from Mr. Mom that he can't open the door. Yeah. Yeah. He played Mr. Hansen. I don't know who Mr. Hansen was in that episode, but he played him. (laughs) (laughs) I, I just, okay. I went back and looked this up. He's the guy that comes up from the, from the basement and is like, well, I fixed your furnace. And uh, the problem is the pilot light or something. Remember Joe had not oh, fixed yeah. the furnace? Joe's B story. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Joe's B story. He's the guy that basically says, uh, yeah, she screwed it up. But because she screwed it up, it could have been a lot worse with a gas leak. So the gas leak wasn't Joe's fault. In fact, right. it helped alert them sooner. And then Joe decides she wants to go with him. Like she's like, uh, can I come along? And he's like really? You're going to punish me like this? And then yeah. as he leaves, he looks out and says, hey, hey, I'm the one driving. Great character actor. I remember we really liked him when I when I did the show. So, but yeah. I think the actor you're referring to that is was a surprise to everyone mm-hmm. and, he, and yet not a surprise to anyone <laughs> is the wonderful Corky St. Clair. Yes, Corky St. Clair. One of his early roles before Waiting for Guffman. And I say that because he could not be any more Corky St. Clair. Oh, you think so? Oh, my God. He's gayer than a glory hole with a peacock standing at it. No, oh I my not think so. God, we're talking if he were about any gayer, he'd be on the Judy Garland Christmas special. <laughs> we are talking about... In the role of the brother, which is an important role in both versions of this, the role of Marlo Thomas's brother is played by a young, unknown Christopher Guest. And we're referring to Corky St. Clair. That's the character he does in uh, Waiting for Guffman. But no, he doesn't talk like that with this voice. I got married. I think he is is delightful. And and Christopher Guest is straight anyway. He's not playing it gay. He's also married to who? Jamie Lee Curtis. What what are you shrugging for? Play the diesel horn. Play the no, diesel horn. No, I'm not going to play the diesel. Is Jamie Lee Curtis rumored to be a lesbian? She is rumored to have both sets. What? You did not know She's that? Been, she, hasn't she been naked and stuff? I mean, uh, hasn't she done nudity? Maybe shown her titties. I mean, definitely shown her titties. But, I don't know that you've ever seen full vag. Wow. <laughs> well, I was not aware of any of this rumor or speculation. I mean, to me, I think Christopher is, he was so unassuming as the brother. It was only in one of the close-ups well into the movie that I go, wait a minute, who is that? I know that. It, I didn't see any trace of him doing his his crazy character work. This is a few years before Spinal Tap. Spinal Tap is uh, still a good, what, five or six or seven years down the road. He's like John Waters. He's a terrible actor, so he has to produce and create his own stuff. Oh, no. You've seen The Princess Bride. No, I never have. He's the villain in The Princess Bride, and he is magnificent. You won't have anything said against Marlo Thomas. I declare a moratorium. All right. On any shit talk about Christopher Guest. Fair enough. Fair enough. God. Okay. Um, so, uh, 
so that goes so that pretty much gets us through i believe the notable uh, supporting cast of surprisingly familiar faces and there's there's others too where you're like oh yeah that guy or i'm sure i've seen it there yeah. um so it uh, should be noted we've been talking about cloris and what she did with this role i think in addition to the the humor and the lightness she did bring uh, a, a vulnerability as well as there is no vanity about this the 60s and into the 70s those were the decades of the false eyelashes and the overdone makeup and cloris looks like she has some blush on her cheeks and her nose to give her that sort of uh been out in the cold dickensian caroler sort of a look there is no, i don't even think she's got mascara on she I is think, so and we've and diana eden kind of alluded to this as well if it's for the character that is the most important thing to cloris leachman yeah like she doesn't care what she looks like as long as the character looks like she thinks it should yeah so i think yeah there's absolutely she's an actress for christ's sake yeah there's no vanity about her artistry no. she's like nope it's it's all about the work and the character like and betty davis shaving her head to play queen elizabeth fuck yes <laughs> and and yeah what diana... she hadn't gotten the role <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're going in a different direction showed up like this wait wait, wait what we're going where <laughs> i i have a seven head right now what are you talking about <laughs> But uh, yes, and if this is 1977, this is the same year that Mel Brooks's High Anxiety came out. And uh, we just, I just looked it up. It came out on Christmas Day, like a couple of weeks after this was High Anxiety. And of course, that's got the amazing Chloris creation of Nurse Diesel with the gigantic shoulder pads up by her ears and the enormous cone-shaped breasts and and again no makeup other than i think they added a mustache to her and yeah she's awesome and she was nominated for an emmy for this performance she's not even in 20 minutes of the movie it's not a lot yeah that was very strange mm. but when she the hell was, was young frankenstein for christ's sake that was 72 uh, blazing saddles and young frankenstein 74 okay yeah yeah young frankenstein was 74 Sorry. yeah and uh, that's fine um i will point out it's interesting how at the beginning when they're talking about you know do we have someone else that we could send uh, and he says she's been here 200 years and she hasn't really learned much i think is what he says yeah. and it's like okay if she's been there 200 years and now it's 1977 why is she dressed up in Dickensian garb, which is uh, 1840s, is when A Christmas Carol takes place, if you want to get literal here. That's and 1840s. Does and she does reference the 19th century mm -hmm. in, at one point. She says that it's like a throwaway line. She goes, this is 19th century, um, or very popular in the 19th century or something like that. She makes a reference to the 19th century, yeah. which would imply the 1800s. Right. But if she's been there 200 years, that would get us to 1777. Mm -hmm. So she, if she died, if she's been uh, an angel trying to earn her wings for 200 years, if she died in uh, 1777, she should be dressed more like uh, our founding father's wives 
than uh, like a character out of A Christmas Carol. But of course, if you're going to do it, Dickensian, of course, that's fucking Christmas. That's, yeah. I, I get why they made that choice. So it could have been, well, she's been here 120 years and she hasn't learned anything. They could have literally pinpointed when she, why she looks that way with the change of one number in one line of dialogue. Yeah. But who the fuck am I? But she even makes reference to her dress. She goes, yes, I was lucky enough to be buried in it. <laughs> <laughs> also oh, interesting God. fact about, um, in I think season eight or nine, the facts of life does this storyline with Cloris Leachman as George Bailey. Oh, do they? Yeah, they like, take an episode where she wishes she hadn't come to peak skill. Oh. And San Santa Claus shows her oh. what it would be like if she had not come to peak skill. Bless. <laughs> I can't wait to watch that, Jim. I'm sure it's a humdinger. <laughs> so the last thing that I have in my notes that I just wanted to point out um, this holds true for both versions of the story. And this is a little bit of a critique to the original as well as this one, that when the angel says, okay, you weren't born, you're done. And then when George slash Mary goes back to, they go to the bar and everything is different and everybody is acting differently. And yeah, suddenly and the car you, exp you expect to see um, three black girls walking by singing Skid Row. <laughs> but the thing is, they originally go to the bar. The car is missing. That's the first sign. And we have the whole thing of uh, George's ear. Suddenly he can hear in his ear. She is, it's kind of cool. One good thing is that she uh, crashes the car and she bangs like her eyebrow, like right on her brow bone. And she's got a cut there and a bruise. So you do get a sense that she could be like, is, is this just a concussion? Am I hallucinating sure. this? So I kind of like that component. Um, but suddenly it's like the bruise is gone. And suddenly everything is different. But in spite of going to this bar and seeing people and they are not who you remember them to be and nobody remembers you, then it's like, well, I'm still going to go to this. I'm going to go and talk to the cab driver. He doesn't know who you are. I'm going to go home and look for my wife. She doesn't know who you are. It's like, okay, yeah. what part of you were never born and you've experienced my magical abilities as an angel by my appearing and disappearing? What part of that is unclear to you? That no one is going to remember you. Yeah. yeah. Those maybe, people it's don't... maybe it's because um, they went to that bar and um, all she had to drink was an eggnog. <laughs> That he spills, by the way, when he walks up to her and yeah. he says, hi. And yeah, he, he spills a little bit up on the side of the glass. Yeah, maybe that's playing into it too. But here's the deal. In the original, he finds um, Mary, he finds his wife, and she's like an ugly unibrow spinster. They do. Well, in this, she finds him. She finds Wayne Rogers working at a garage and... She's like, she says, his name is George and her name is Mary. They swap the names. And she's like, George, it's Mary. And he's like, well, uh, hey, Mary, this, this bitch is, looks like Marlo Thomas. She's hot. 
so she says, know me, please know me. And he's like, yeah, Mary. And she hugs him like, oh, you know me. And he's like, well, actually, I don't know you, but uh, lady, we could have a, a nice time or yeah, something. We could, we could have a party. Yeah, I would have been like, okay, where where did you want to go? Yeah, <laughs> no. We'll get back no. to this whole Christmas thing. Nobody remembers me. We'll get back to that after. Yeah, this. we'll get back just... to that exactly. Just uh, let's let's get let's run into the over onto the Lubrack and uh, anyhow, my thing is at a, at an auto place they have a lube for for lube jobs. Uh. Anyway, um, so, but the thing is, he's like, you know, whatever. And she realizes he doesn't know her. He's just faking. And he's like, well, whatever. Okay. And he says, all right, well, whatever, come on. And he's grabbing her by the hand and starting to kind of walk her inside. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah. How did your not being born turn him into um, a rapist? Because I think that's kind of what he had in mind. I mean, it would have almost been, wouldn't it have been much more touching? You know, the, the moment is broken by the cop car because the cops were chasing her for acting up at the bar. Uh, so thankfully, she's able to escape his grasp. But my thing is like, okay, so uh, he was going to rape her. Wouldn't it have been much more poignant to have him have him be like, uh, yeah, Mary, and have her hug him and say, oh, God, you know me, you know me. And then have her ask him a question and have him be like, uh, yeah, um, I, I think we've met, but I'm sorry. Really, I don't. And have her be freaked out. And then make him still be a nice guy. Have her see that he's now just this poor rundown guy that never found love or something. And have him say, you know, lady, are you okay? Do you need me to call you some help or something? You really seem confused. <laughs> Read the room, not, ah, you look like you're needing a poke in there, disoriented lady. So in both movies, we have the issue of Guys, when are you going to catch the fuck on to what is happening that you have explicitly been told is happening? Yeah. And then the rape is a, the, the possible rape is, is a little bit uh, disturbing. Well, it's a little bit like, you know, I mean, they could have cast Bill Cosby. In no. Part oh, no. Because, hey, David. Hey, David. Hey, Matthew. Do you know what Bill Cosby and Santa Claus have in common? What what do Bill Cosby and Santa Claus have in common? They only come when you're sleeping. Oh. Come on. I've been trying well, to figure out how to work that in, but you brought up rape. <laughs> That's your fault. That's your fault. That's on you. Question. I have a question. Wait, you, really? You think there's anything more to be said after that? Really? Yes. I have one last thing. My huge problem with this whole story is Mr. Potter never gets his comeuppance. Oh, you are so right. I would uh, something, dear script writer, dear screenwriter, something to like Scrooge, make him realize I need to give this money back that I stole yeah. from from uncle willie because he did steal the money and knew he had the money yeah so it's not like there was you know if he if that hadn't happened i wouldn't have been so angry about him not getting his comeuppance because he just he just stayed an angry old man but the fact that he stole from them and and got off scot-free for it it left a bad taste in my mouth 
Yes, I, I could not agree with you more because at the very least, it should have been discovered that he took and held the money deliberately. Because at the end, the whole thing is that, okay, this money is missing. And since your books check out, but there's missing money, that is a possible fraudulent activity for which Mary could go to jail. That's a thing. So the idea is that with him threatening to put her in jail to take over the town, he needed to be the one to go to jail. That's your right. Wiley Coyote uh, theory of, of writing. Or at least have him wheel his ass into that house at the end with the money and be like, here, this is not mine, you know, mm. or something to get make him a little bit get redeem himself. But I don't know. It didn't like yeah. that. And have him say, well, fine, you've got the money from all these people. Isn't this a lovely moment? Well, guess what? It, it doesn't matter apparently whether I have this or not is of no importance. So we'll, we'll fight this out another day, another time, but you know, I'll get you my pretty yeah. and then have him wheel himself out of the house and then get hit by a trolley car. That would have been great. That would have been, I would have laughed so hard. Or have the, have Cloris Leachman as the invisible angel, but we see her push him down the stairs. Yes. Like just something to just put a button on it rather than, and when a bell rings, an angel gets us his swings. Ugh. (laughs) It's like, God help us, everyone. You know what I mean? Jesus well, Christ. Um, but overall, uh, th- these are little problems and little issues. And that's a problem with the original. You're, you're totally yeah. right. And uh, I recommend you look at the Saturday Night Live lost ending to It's a Wonderful Life that they do, where basically it picks up right at the end of the movie as we know it, where Dana Carvey playing Jimmy Stewart is like, well, well wait a minute. Well, yeah. well, that means that old man Potter's the one behind this whole thing. And they go to his office and they beat the living shit out of him. Yeah. And then the credits roll. It's just literally yeah. hilarious. It is It is giving you what you want. And I, I think it's uh, what the movie also uh, needs. So Matthew... Yeah. What uh, what uh, special thing have you got going on uh, Christmas tradition-wise? Is there a special anything you always like to do around the holidays? I don't. Well, I mean, I loved. I used to love to bake for people. I would always love, my mother would always make peanut butter balls. They're called Buckeyes. Oh, yeah, you know, sure. Those with truffle a, with things. With a dot of chocolate on them kind of a thing? They're dipped in chocolate when oh, you see the peanut yes. butter. Sister. I used to bring them to work. Yeah, I remember that. Um. So, but I don't have anybody to make them for. Last year, uh, last year I got a sweater. I mean, I'm hoping this year for a moaner or a screamer. <laughs> At this point, I'm like a Christmas tree. My balls are purely ornamental, David. <laughs> uh, but on to happier what things. One you? thing. Uh, Well, one thing I like to do is I like to drive around and find big, huge, tacky light displays outside houses. And that's something we can still do. And that's a good thing. And it looks like, uh, if anything, because of the pandemic, people are leaning a little bit harder into that. It's like we need something to bring joy and happy and occupy our time. So I think it's going to be a good year for going out and uh, finding good light displays. I'll give you Jeff Jones' address. He lives in Ocoee. Oh, yeah. 
Yes. It's, it's... And our friend Cameron Matthews has actually started up a side hustle because he is so good. He does his own house up. I asked the stipulations for Cameron. I asked if he could um, do it while wearing bikini underwear, and they said <laughs> no. So I'm not having him put one string of lights on my, on my apartment yeah. at all. Clearly, someone doesn't want his new business to succeed. And I said, I'm willing to pay extra for that. It's not <laughs> like I expect it to come. Could he at least be barefoot? I mean, he's not <laughs> going to have to get on a roof or anything. It's an apartment. Anyway, that's <laughs> my Christmas. <sighs> well, to our Tutti Fruities, it is uh, always a great time of year to take stock and be thankful as the year comes to a close. It does look like there is a light at the end of the tunnel that the pandemic is going to be uh, slowly working its way out of our lives. And uh, Matthew is doing amazing things with his hair. I wish he would let me photograph him so you could see the oh, incredible- Oh absolutely not. I, I don't know why. You are beautiful and hilarious. Gross. And- <laughs> But Tutti Fruities, Matthew and I both wish you a happy holiday season and a peaceful, prosperous, and healthy New Year. If there was ever a time to say a happy and a healthy New Year, I think this is the year to say it. Wouldn't you agree? Um, what? <laughs> and on that note, this is David Almeida. That was David Almeida. Oh, and I'm sorry. I'm Matthew. Yeah. Yeah. Who cares? Nobody cares. I'll be alone <laughs> on Christmas. <laughs> I will call you. I promise. And Tutti Fruities, uh, this was December TV Talkaholics, and we will talk at you next month. Bye. Bye.